Welcome to the Agros Church Podcast. I'm Associate Pastor Taylor DeSoto. I'm Lead Pastor Dane Johansson. Today we are going to first do a brief introduction on our definition of what we call Reformed, or at least when we call ourselves Reformed, what that means, and then we're going to get into what we're reading, and then we're going to talk a lot about Greek pedagogy today. This is going to be our definitive, I think you put down as our... Yeah. Because we've talked about Greek and learning Greek and everything, and obviously it's a, it's been a passion of mine for years. Um, it's now a passion of yours. Uh you're really enjoying and learning a lot, so it's uh, something we've talked about before, but we've, uh, obviously with the film being out now and all this kind of stuff, yeah. we wanted to make sure we put forward a, uh, you know, just a definitive podcast, right, if you so will. hopefully we can point to, you know, if someone asks us, hey, like, what do you guys, what are you guys doing to learn Greek? We can say, hey, watch this video. Yeah. So hopefully it'll be helpful for you guys. So first, I thought it would be helpful for some people to know what we mean personally when we say that we are Reformed Baptists. I know that the language can kind of get a little vague these days, you know, with people calling themselves reformed. So I understand, you know, people want some clarification on that. It's better to hear from us, I guess, than, you know, some discernment ministry or discernment blog. So we believe that being reformed Baptist means that you adhere to the 1689 London Baptist confession of faith. Uh, It's the second London Baptist confession. We believe that that gives us an accurate understanding of what is contained within scripture and we personally are full subscriptionists. Yeah, we, we're we fully subscriptional. So we understand there's a little bit of wiggle room there, like on capital A Antichrist and things like so that. Like the, the way of a, uh, specifics of mm-hmm. the Sabbath, things like that. Things like that. So we, we would consider ourselves fully subscriptional. Um, so, for example, if you wanted to know what we believed on repentance, you could just go ahead and, and take a look in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have a pretty high view of the Lord's Day. We actually err on, on a, a, probably a more conservative, middle-of-the-road conservative side of, the, mm-hmm. of a Sabbatarian view. Mm-hmm. Um, so we basically do church all day on Sunday. We start in the morning. We end at night. Uh, we have lunch together. We do life together um, on Sundays for anyone that wants to. Uh, and we try to abstain from recreation and get everything that we can done ahead of time. So no homework and work and that things like that. Mm-hmm. So obviously not everyone at our church is fully subscriptional, but we, for the most part, tried to promote that view. Mm-hmm. And then we also try to encourage all day fellowship on the Lord's day. So even if people aren't Sabbatarians in our church, we try to encourage that as well. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know more information on our views, I actually have an article on our blog called A Primer on Reformed Christianity, which explains our view better on what we think it means to be reformed. Mm. And our website is also pretty detailed on what we believe. So part of the reason we did that was because we know how frustrating it is when you're trying to find a church and, you know, there's like seven little tiny paragraphs of what the church believes and it's just really vague and it can be, mm-hmm. you know, I think. So we tried to be as detailed as possible on our website. So, you know, for those of you guys who are kind of, you know, questioning um, what we believe about things, our website's a great resource. The confession is a great re- excuse me, resource. And, uh, we, you know, it just straight from the horse's mouth, hopefully. And so we won't have any more confusion in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, we've got hours upon hours of preaching and, and Sunday right. schools and everything on there. Right. And and at the end of the day, pretty much, I mean, we would hold, if we vary from the confession, then we misspoke. So right. <laughs> just just go to the confession if you want. Yeah, to right. go to the this, confession. Yeah. It words it way better than we ever could. Right. And then obviously you can just reach out to us personally. 
We've had lots of people do that, and we appreciate that a lot. Yeah, yeah, and everyone everyone has come out from those conversations um, affirmed in believing that we're reformed, typically. So Yeah. Uh, so so that's great. So hopefully that was helpful for anyone who needed some additional clarification on what we call Reformed Baptist. So so what, what would we say are two things that might make you ostensibly Reformed? I mean, Calvinism is the baseline. I mean, a lot of people, when they think Reformed means Calvinist. Right. Uh, and uh, some of our friends... Uh, jokingly call them tulipists yeah um yeah i mean tulip and 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 calvinism stuff you know i don't think we've ever except for like you know in certain sunday schools or other teaching settings explained tulip i think we did a thing on the cans of dort so we obviously explained tulip because that's where that acronym came from was that whole debate um but you know being a tulip being someone who holds to tulip the five points of calvinism or, or just simply being a calvinist does not make one reformed there's 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 charismatic um Calvinist, there's yep. a new uh, apostolic reformation Calvinist, yep. there's uh, NIFB Calvinist, there's there's Calvinists of every of every shape and size and brand. Right. That's not what makes you reformed. And not saying that's a bad thing. It just no, there, yeah. there's there's just distinctions. You draw lines in the sand, and that's to just be kind of to be ostensibly reformed Baptist or Presbyterian or Dutch reform. We would say probably boils down to two things. It would really be. Um, you don't go to a confessionally reformed church. I mean, obviously, there's the rare exception. You, right. you don't have one on the island you're on or, right, yeah. or the small town you're in or whatever. Um, and so you go to a Calvinistic church or whatever. Um, or whatever church is available to you because right, you have right. to. Right. But I, mean, I think being reformed means you you attend a reformed congregation. You submit yourself to a reformed uh, clergy at that church. Yep. Uh, the pastors, the elder, uh, elders and deacons um, that, that you, you attend and take part in the, a, a reformed community that, that rallies around the confession as a accurate description of what they believe. And then another thing I would say that might make one ostensibly reformed would be if you're not at church a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was something when I started becoming reformed, I realized, hey, this church thing is important. <laughs> Uh, I, I actually have to be available to my church. And especially if you're in a position of leadership, you probably want to be at church more than you're not at church. Mm-hmm. So we have a personal rule for us. Basically, it's that you can't miss more than one or two Sundays a year. Yeah, the the, the deacons and the elders at our church, um, you know, we, you, you've got you've got two. If you got a vacation or something like that, I mean, obviously you need to be able to do that. And we try to coordinate them. So, mm-hmm. so you know, we're always at least one of the pastors is always there. Again, we believe in a plurality of elders. Right. So so there's always somebody there. But um, you know, personally, we would have, you know, two, you're fine. Um, there's obviously extenuating circumstances. Somebody dies, you're doing a funeral, right. um, you're going to a funeral, whatever. There, there's emergencies and stuff, but that's the exception, not the rule. The rule would be at our church. If you're on, if you're an officer in our church, it's, you, you get two Sundays a year. Um, we even try to not make it that much, you know what I mean? Right, so yeah. We, we, we just enjoy having been be, become reformed. We just enjoy being at church. We enjoy right, fellowshipping. Yeah, we enjoy the Lord's day. So right. it's actually a burden to me. Like when I was in Cyprus, yeah. um, as much as that was a fun trip and a great time, I mean, I missed, yeah. I missed the Lord's day. I mean, we missed you, man. Yeah. And, and so that, that's kind of in a nutshell. When we talk about like what it means to what we would say, what we would define as reformed and what we would consider not reformed. Uh, if you're, you have, the baseline is, is you are a Calvinist, you're a confessional, you have a high view of church, a high view mm. of the Lord's day. Mm. And, uh, you also do things like family worship, um, all day fellowship on Sunday, that sort of thing. You don't miss church a whole lot. Um, well, there, and there's people that are gone more Sundays than not, whether it's working or, yeah. um, missionary stuff, whatever it mm. may be. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's pushing it. That's right. Well, you can, you can do that. I just would say you probably couldn't hold an office in a church if you, oh, were, yeah, if yeah. you were just not at church, you know, yeah, if, if you're not at your home church, if, if you're absent from your home church more than you're actually present, 
Um, I, I don't see how you could be a, an officer right. in that church. Right. And, and so that, that's why the calling of like evangelists, like mission, being a missionary mm. is a really taxing thing because mm. you're always away from churches and planting other churches. And like, yep. I don't know how brother Paul Washer does it. Like that's gotta be right. Well, I mean, it took a toll on his, on his body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it just, it actually took a physical toll on his body. Right. And he, he was smart to set up where he's not going to all these countries, playing these churches. He's, yeah. he's made an organization that raises people up within them. Right. Right. Yep. Um, all right. So today we're going to be talking about the topics that people seem to be most interested in. So, uh, obviously the, the going back to the Greek documentary, go check it out on YouTube. If you haven't seen it yet, has sparked a lot of interest in language learning and our views of language learning. Um, so today we're going to talk about what Dane and I do personally uh, for Greek study, why we think learning Greek is important to understanding the text issues. So when you talk about textual criticism, why mm. we think learning the language is important to that, and why mm. we think the method that we are employing should be employed at seminaries. And we're, we're hopefully, um, we know a lot of people, a lot of pastors actually that are that are in our lives that we seek counsel from that learned uh, the grammar translation method, and they were you know we were just talking. Um, to, to, to one of them actually. And he's like, man, I can open up my TR and just read it. And, yeah. and I was like, you know, that's great. Like if, mm-hmm. if, you know, you're, if you're at where you need to be in your language goal, that's totally fine. Now we're not going to endorse the grammar translation method Mm-mm. because we think that it's not as, as effective at all. But you know, if that worked for you and you're at the, you know, you're in the ministry and you can read your Bible like that, that's, you know, that's you, you can do that. You're the 1%. Right. You're the exception. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you can open your Bible and read it in, in the, the original Greek, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, you don't have to change the whole system for yourself, but, right. but then the majority of people are going to greatly benefit from learning this language. Like every other language is right. learned. Yeah, amen. So first let's start off, Dane, what are you reading? What I've been reading lately, um, I'm actually reading the soul winner by Charles Spurgeon. I've uh, been flipping through that. So he basically has a bunch of uh, lectures he gave to students. I'm, uh, there, there's the big collection that we all know, lectures to my students on pastoral ministry, on yeah. preaching, all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. The Banner of Truth edition is a big old fat one that has mm. the uh, commenting and commentaries yeah. in the back, his lectures on how to comment and on buying commentaries and recommending right, yeah. commentaries. And then there's another one that's called All Round Ministry that was another select, another collection of, of lectures he gave to his students. Right. And there's another one, um, there's another little paperback that just came out. And then there's also this one, The Soul Winner. Um, yeah. I didn't realize this was actually part of his, his lecture. So about half of this book is his lectures to his students. The other nice. is Sunday school talks he gave on soul winning. So uh, the, the whole premise of the book is going out and winning souls, which is a biblical term and a reformed term. Uh, he who winneth souls is wise, and he explains what that means and how to yep. do it in the context of church, in the context of uh, yep. uh, open-air preaching, in the context of going to villages and handing out tracts, things like that. So that's been that's been interesting. I'm still plugging away through <clears throat> different John Gill sermons and, and his body of divinity and his sermons and his tracts and stuff. So that's been, that's been mm-hmm. Just huge. I, I'm really enjoying John Gill and, and trying to make him a theologian. I make myself much more familiar with right, yeah. uh, him being a uh, one of the representatives of our uh, of our stream of Reformed Christianity. Anyway, right, yeah. And then I'm going to be starting teaching through um, on for men's study every other week on Friday nights. The Minor Prophets. So That's going to be so awesome. I'm going to take so it a chapter at a time um, and just go through them because, like you know, Minor Prophets. Like you don't think you and I were talking about this the other week mm. or maybe last weekend. Um, they're kind of a good like litmus test 
to or litmus test to um, how well you even know the Bible. Yeah. Because if you can just open up the the minor prophets and understand, you know, the the background context and stuff yeah. from having read your Bible a lot, like you're good to go. Um, usually you turn up to them and you're like, what is this little book? When was this guy? Everything like that. So that's and when you, something yeah. like the Reformation Heritage Study Bible is really helpful where it gives you those notes and things like that. But anyway, I'm going to take a chapter at a time. And it's basically just going to be a running commentary. I'm not really going to preach or anything like that. Right. Just help people understand the text and take yeah. a chapter at a time. So, so I've been really reading. looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So I'm reading uh, the Puritan George Hutchison's yeah. uh, exposition of the Minor Prophets. Um, to just get ready for that. It's, it's pretty short. It's put out by <coughs> Sovereign Grace press and then uh that's really it right now i mean besides just a lot of the greek stuff that we're going to talk about so that's it for my daily reading what about you that's great so i, I typically go through my confession once per month if i can mm-hmm. uh the the actual confession i believe um it's not very long no. it's like 32 uh yeah 32 chapters so you can just plug through one one or two a day Mm-hmm. And you can really get through this thing once per month. And I would recommend that to anyone, um, especially because it helps you articulate the views on the Trinity, help, you know, difficult topics that are very tricky to talk about sometimes with your own words. Yep. Um, I really value the confessional language for that. And then uh, right now I'm also reading, we talked about this a few episodes ago, but the King James Version defended by Edward F. Hills. And you had to go and get the nice hardcover edition. Yeah, I went and got the nice hardcover edition. And so when... When we say that we read books, um, you know, mostly when we're, you know, we're talking about books from the desk here, uh, typically, like, I read the whole thing cover to cover mostly. Uh, so that's typically my goal when I'm reading through a book is to actually consume the whole thing if I can. Uh, and so anything that we featured on the podcast, you know, basically either still working through or mm. have worked through already. Mm. Um, so someone had a question, you know, how, how, you know, do we read the books that we, we talk about and we typically do. Mm. Um, and then I went this week and I read, uh, a whole, about a, 75 pages of Burkhoff. And then I went and read about 30 pages of Bob Inc., his view on the Ordo Salutis. Um, so th- this, this volume actually, volume, uh, three is one of my favorite volumes of his reform dogmatics. Um, there's just so much packed into there. And actually when I was writing, uh, my paper on his view of the covenant of grace, that was the volume that I was most in. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that's what I'm reading right now. And then obviously I'm still plugging through Turretin and Gill a little bit day by day, uh, listening to Calvin every night. And then I'm working through Pimsleur and Duolingo and then reading my Greek new Testament where I can. So, yeah. So that's what I'm doing. So today we are going to be talking through mostly just Greek stuff. So, so first, let's talk about why each of us are studying Greek. So, uh, and how much we put in per day, what our daily inputs and outputs are for the Greek language. So let's start with Dane. So how do you learn Greek and why are you learning Greek? I mean, how I've learned Greek over the years has has changed and been different at different seasons. Yeah. Um, obviously, when I first started learning, I was using a much, much different method than I am now, uh, mostly the grammar translation method. I mean, I was just mm-hmm. getting the grammar under my belt and all this kind of stuff and... Uh, uh, you know, that, that looks much different than today. Today, mm-hmm. um, having, you know, a, a decent amount of Greek under my belt, especially right. when it comes to Kini Greek and Attic Greek, I, I know that fairly yeah. decently. Yeah. Um, and I'm still always learning more, but, um, having, having what I have under my belt looks much different now. And basically for me, I try to put in 30, it's going to look different every day, 30 minutes to two hours a day and being right. a pastoral ministry, being a husband and a father and, all this other kind of stuff. You, you need to aim, if you're going to make any progress in language at all, you need to aim for 30 to 45 minutes. Yep. That'll not only keep you where you're at, but also put you a little bit further. If you can aim for an hour or more a day, yep. um, 
you know, you don't want to burn yourself out, but if you can do an hour more a day, uh, you'll, you'll make big progress. <clears throat> so yeah. I try to aim for about 30 minutes to two hours. Some days it's 30 minutes and that's it. Yep. Uh, and other days it's, it's two hours. So yep. that's basically what I aim for. And the reason I'm learning Greek, um, just, just, you know, to be clear on, on different things. And yeah. the reason I am is I want to be able to enjoy this book right here. The book that God inspired his, his word in. Yeah. I want, I want to be able to pick up the Greek new Testament, which just so happens to be just a language like any other language, but happened to be the language at that time that God chose to inspire and give and preserve his word in. So yeah. I want to be able to pick it up and read it and enjoy it. Uh, like I read and enjoy my English Bible. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the main goal. Um, <clears throat> And this is, you know, led me to just enjoy learning languages in general. Yep. Um, this is when I learned Greek and started, you know, changing the methodology I used for learning Greek years ago. That made me interested in Hebrew, obviously, because that's always next on the list and in Latin and uh, all these kinds of things. And so it's just shown me how to love the process of learning a language. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the actual process of learning is is fun to me now uh you it's not a drudgery anymore um and it can be that way definitely <clears throat> and that's always a method you want to avoid if any method is making you just hate what you're doing and it's just yeah. a drudgery don't do it it's not it's not right. worth your time you're then not you're not learning anything then so you want right. to you know really dig in to what is enjoyable and that's yep. where you're gonna make the most progress in, in, in a language well and i found honestly <clears throat> since we started being more conversational yeah. i've had a lot of fun like, it is fun, yeah. It's so, and you and you you learn words. I I mostly just learned words. I haven't really taught any words, but you pick up a lot of learns when words when you're when you're learning with people that have a higher vocabulary mm-hmm. than you. Uh, so they'll use a word, and you you know you ask them what does that mean, and they'll tell you, and you're like, oh wow, that's like a cool like I never would have thought that. Like you might have yeah. known, like even like the root of the word, but but then it's being used in a way that you would never have expected, and it's just very cool. Yeah. Like not that it's like mystic, but we you know we we say something like I've got to run to the store. Right. And like these like little phrases like that, where it's just like it, it kind of defies the actual lexical value of a word. Right. And it's just it's just pretty cool. Like that. I, I, don't, I don't know many people that after they say that, drop everything they're doing and sprint to wherever they're going. Right. Yeah. Right? They don't run to where they're going. I mean, I got to take a quick trip. However, I get there by, you know, walking, uh, you know, running, maybe yeah. uh, driving, taking a taxi, whatever it is. I need to go to the store to pick something up and I'll be back and it's not going to be a long trip. It's not some long drive thing. That's what you mean by it. But all the lexical values, I need to run to the store, um, you know, just on its own makes it sound something else. So that's an idiom. That's idiomatic English. Right. And and so when you're speaking a language like organically, like it becomes fun because you start to pick up those kinds of things. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, so learning learning Greek and, and really diving into it over the years has made me just love language learning in general. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I have a decent amount of Latin under my belt. I'm, yeah. I'm helping some brothers learn Latin right now. Um, as, as well as Greek. I, I mean, my, my Latin, I can pick it up and put it back down whenever right. and it stays pretty much the same, which it's not like, you know, I'm not fluent in Latin or whatever, but I can, I can, I can work my way around stuff and, um, I enjoy it. You know, I've dabbled in German and, and, and Dutch and, and some Hebrew and things like mm. that. So Hebrew's next. After after I really solidify Greek and continue to make my Latin better, I yeah. want to go to Hebrew next. Um, well, so we, can, we were even kicking around the idea of learning the next language in Greek, like teaching yep. and learning. So we're going to try to figure out, out how to do that. Yeah, That's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff for Latin for that, so that'll be... That'll yeah, be so we'd be, we'd be conversing about another language in a second language. Right, so that, and which is a lot of a lot of polyglots do that a lot. Right, it's yeah. always a good way. It yeah. helps you learn the language even better. Right. Um, and then, you know, 
I want to be able to enjoy and use my Greek New Testament to defend the the scriptures, yeah. to defend uh, the the scriptures themselves, the doctrines they teach, just like the great men of old did. I want to be able to read their works, and when they're quoting the Greek New Testament, be able to have no mm-hmm. problem with it, and not have to stop what I'm doing and look it up in English or yeah. try to parse the thing and, and decode it. I want to yep. be able to just okay, I see them quote something, boom, I'm there. Um, so that, that's another reason I'm learning Greek. That's yeah. I want to be able to. Uh, teach it to my kids. I yeah. mean, and, and my goddaughter. Yeah. You know, so I want to be able to converse with them and help them at a young age. I want I want to get Greek under my belt and then the other languages on my belt. So as fast as I can, so that I can teach them right away. I can speak to them, and, and I already do this with my son. You know, right? He, he's he's he knows quite a few words in Greek. I don't know, probably like twenty or so. Yeah. Um, that he can respond to, and and he even tries to say parakalo, but it comes out as just ko. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, you missed a few syllables there. Right. But, that's so but cute. It, it gets a point, but then but then he's doing English sign language when he's doing it. So I'm like, he's like saying like parakalo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, well, I get it. Yeah. He's like ko ko, and I'm ko, like, oh, ko, sweet. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, yeah. He knows the he knows the Greek word for guitar, kithara. So, kithara. Um, he's always saying that. But yeah, um, I want to be able to teach my kids because there's no better time than when they're a sponge like this that they can yeah. just they pick up languages, yeah. no problem. So if you have kids um, and they're they're still young, they don't have to be you know not talking. Even if they're just still prepubescent, they're good to go. They're just a sponge; they're ready to absorb right. a language. So if it's if you're going to teach them a second language, it's going to open up a world of possibilities to them yeah. uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise. Now's the time to do it. Right. So that's, yeah. the, that's the other. Uh, the other thing I want to do is, you know, be able to teach it to my kids. So what does your daily routine look like? Right now, my daily routine kind of looks like this. I, When I wake up, I, you know, do my prayers and my devotions and everything. And I, I usually read out loud a, a chapter of the Greek New Testament. Nice. Um, you know, and sometimes that means I'm looking things up or whatever. But, but usually, even if I come across something I don't understand... Um, yeah. I mean, if it's in the epistles, I'm going to have to be doing a lot more of that. Yeah. But, you know, in the Gospels and Acts and, and some of the easier epistles that I've preached through or worked through before, I'm not having to do that as much. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I try to, even when I come across a word that I'm like, I'm not positive exactly what form that's in or what it, what it's meaning in this very part of the sentence, I try to just move on and keep going through it and reread the sentence again or the paragraph again. And, yep. and then usually, a lot of the times, not usually, but a lot of the times, I, I understand the word now. I don't need a definition for it. I, right, I now yeah. understand it because it's in the context of everything else. Yep. So I do that. But I mean, if uh, worse comes to worse, I, I will mark it down and come come back later. Oftentimes I'll have my uh, an interlinear open on my phone or something. Right. But if I absolutely need to need a quick definition and I'm just right. like, I think this is essential, yeah. I'll quickly just glance at it and keep going so I don't have to... Right. Yeah. Stop what I'm doing and lose the context. And you want to, You want to. If you, the best way to learn a language and stay is to stay in the language. Yep. Uh, the longer you spent getting out of the language and going to English, now you're out of Greek thinking. So yep. when I'm reading, I want to do that. So I, I read out loud. I don't just read in my head. I read out loud one chapter. Then I also listen to two chapters. So there's a there's um, for the critical text. I I can't really recommend. Uh, a good modern audio. I know there's two, but I just don't know them by the name. Right. Zoadadis has had one. I think it was the twenty and that's the twenty seven and the UBS four. Other than that, I mean, for the TR, I know there's a great modern yeah. Greek pronunciation using guy. <laughs> I think he's a modern Greek uh, native Greek who who reads the entire TR to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I listen to two chapters a day. I read one chapter a day and try to listen to two chapters a day. And um, I always I read along while I'm listening, but I don't try to. Especially then, I never pause and everything. I just let the language soak in, and I end up understanding a lot more than I thought I would. I also try to do uh, 
50 to 100 points. 50 is like the, the minimum points I have set for myself where it's like the extreme or whatever for Duolingo. Right, but I yeah. try to do like uh, 50 to 100 points of Duolingo every day. Yep. <clears throat> and something I've found uh, really helpful. I like it on the computer because I feel like it has a lot more utility and stuff. Right. However... Um, where I'm at right now, I'm finding it most helpful to just do it on my phone and I bring it up on my phone and I use the dictation button. So if you have a dictation set up on your smartphone, I do the dictation button and I just translate cause I'll ask you to translate from Greek into English. I do that. And then it gives you English to Greek. And so I'm having to speak the Greek into the microphone in such a way that it actually recognizes it as Greek and gives me the right answer. So I'm finding that has been way helpful in getting me just yeah. being able on the fly to say the words. Because even if you if you if right. you stress the wrong syllable, I in other words miss the accent, yeah, it won't do it for you. Oh, um, that's it, it won't put them down. Yeah. So so that gets you to dial in your accents, your uh, enunciation, right, yeah. everything like that. So I've been trying to rather than type, yeah. dictate. Um, although you can do it on the computer too. And sometimes if I'm just sitting there and I, I can just do a couple lessons, get like 40 points or whatever really quick. on Right. The, yeah. I mean, as long as you're just doing Greek, that's the point. Right. Get your brain on that, that wavelength for right. just 30 minutes. And then right now, before I left for the trip, I was doing Pimsleur every day. I know you're doing Pimsleur every day yep. right now too. And then I'm also back on doing Pimsleur every day. I doubt either of us will get Pimsleur tonight and that's fine. You can miss a day. The, the goal is to do six. I'll, I'll probably do my Pimsleur tonight when I get home. I'm going to try to at least. I, I just, for, for me, it's, it's at, if it's too late at night, I'm not getting anything. I'm just frustrated. Yeah, no, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Like you get yeah, too I'm sleepy here. and you're just like not right. listening anymore. Yeah. And that's another thing with, with language learning. It's always best like when you're a little sprite still. Yeah, they even little... tell you to pick a time of day when you're most aware and you're... And least stressed. At least and... stressed out and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. Like, we're going to talk about that a lot today. There, there, Believe it or not, there's a lot of scholarship on how to learn a language. Yeah. Like, there, there's a lot of what's effective, what's not effective. So everything that, like, Dane just described, um, from what I understand of, like, studying just, just language learning in general, mm-hmm. is everything they recommend. You need, you need a bunch of different kinds of inputs, whether it be um, verbal, um, by speaking to someone, or by mm-hmm. listening, or by reading, or, you know, everything. It's so important. Right. And I do, so I do 30 minutes of Pimsleur a day, which is, which is one lesson. Right. And so that gets you talking. Um, yeah. They, they use a really small amount of vocabulary. There's, Greek only has 60 lessons so far. Um, yeah. there hopefully we'll add others. Other languages have like, you know, some, sometimes, you know, 120, 200 lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greek has 66 lessons, I think. So right. in Greek, you're going to get a smaller core vocabulary. You're not going to get much vocabulary, but you're going to use the vocabulary in a bunch of different ways. The past yep. tense, the future tense, all the kind of stuff. And, and you're constantly, basically what happens is it gives you a word. It'll even literally yep. break down each sound for you. So you know how to do it. And then it tells you the definition of the word. Then it'll be like, how do you say excuse me in Greek? Or do you remember how to say excuse me in Greek? And you go signomi. Signomi. Right. So you listen to conversations and you interact in the conversation. Right. I love it. Like so, like when you start to get towards the end of like a, a, a group, like a unit basically, they'll like actually have you be in the conversation too. So you have to right. like compose on the fly. Now, of course, they, you have like 20 things you could possibly say. So it's not like – and most of them are probably right. But it does help you to get into that mindset of, like, producing the language. Right. Well, they, they even tell you – they want you to do a specific answer. Right, yeah. So they tell you – they already tell you what to say. Yeah. You just have to say it. But then you have to be able to do it on the fly. So it's it, it's really right. helpful. So it helps yeah. dial in your pronunciation. It helps dial yeah. in the ability to think in the language. Yeah. And it helps to dial in the ability to, you know, just kind of be using it and be in Greek. Right, so in, exactly. the, so in that half hour, you're in Greek and it feels good. So you right, make, yeah. I think it's six months you can be done with the Greek course and you're mm-hmm. – not like you're fluent in Greek, you're not even an A1 or anything level, but you're going to have 
a good understanding of how to use Greek, how to think in Greek, how, right. how Greek works in, yep. in real life settings and things like that. And, uh, and the next, sorry. I think the most important thing is like how to actually compose. Like, yeah. is that something that, uh, you know, I worked through <clears throat> Machen for the most part. It was like playing around in mounts and they don't like Machen actually does make you compose from, uh, from English in, into Greek. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's, that's really important to actually mm. produce Greek. Like yeah. that's so important. That's, that's why Machen is my favorite yeah. uh, New Testament Greek grammar. Yeah. Uh, whenever people ask me, I always recommend that because there's, it's, it's really basic. It's really clear. Uh, it's still really, it's still the same, you know, content you're going to get today. It, it's yep. not going to have discussion on definite verbs and everything, but who cares? That's not necessary anyway. Right. Um, but it's going to give you tons of composition stuff. So that's, what's really cool about it. Yep. Um, if I, you know, at that point, if I've, you know, gotten all this done, <clears throat> And, it, and this is the ideal day, right? Yeah, so, of course. Um, yeah, this and, is like, and, a, like and, an hour and a half day, like right. in Greek. Yeah, yeah, hour and a half, two hours a day. Yeah. Um, the, basically, the, the things I've listed up till now, I try to do every single day, regardless. Right. <clears throat> this stuff's like every other day, and kind of adding things on when I have them. Um, but again, I try to do every day. This is Athanase. We've talked about this before. I, I finally ponied up and got the second edition. The third edition's out, but I don't need it right now. So, so some of the courses I'm teaching and stuff, people are. And by courses I'm teaching, I mean, I'm like in a seminary or anything. I'm just teaching through this course with some friends and with right, some yeah. people and like helping people learn, um, uh, taking through, taking some other pastors and some ministers through this book actually. And the second volume, once we're finished with this, right, but yeah. this is, this is Attic Greek. So it's a slightly older form of, of, uh, Greek than the new Testament Greek. So we're talking like, uh, 500, 400, 300 BC. Right. Yeah. And so this is like the golden age of the classics and everything. Most of the classics, like if you buy a Loeb's classic, uh, or study Greek classics, right. uh, you're going to be reading this and then something even earlier, which is almost impossible Homer. Yeah. So, um, all that, but you know, it, it, a lot of this kind of stuff, and, and we'll talk more about this in, in a moment, but just to touch on briefly when you're doing modern and, and, and Attic Greek or, or you know, all that, like you're going to learn so many words that are, that are hapoxagamina in the new Testament, meaning they only appear once, yep. twice, three times, four times. And it's like, Oh man, how am I ever going to get all those words down that only appear once, once every once in a while. The reason they only appear every once in a while is because they're actually really, really common words in Greek, Yeah, but it's just the corpus of literature that we have. You have to remember something. The new Testament is a teeny amount of literature, very, very, very small yep. amount of literature. Yep. It, and it talks about a very, very select amount of things. Yeah. So, so there's not that many words used. There's like, uh, 5,400 and something words. Yeah. That's nothing. That's not a very, uh, wide range of vocabulary. Whereas, you know, if you, if you really get this book under your belt, which is just, this is, this is great cause it's all stories. So what I do is I read the story out loud over and over and over again. I probably do it five to ten times, kind of like I do with yep. Lingua Latina, which we've talked about in the past, yep. until I just know it in Greek. And I'll, and I'll do things like draw arrows, sometimes write an interlinear, all that kind of stuff that uh, for a word if I don't know it, and then I go back and erase it. So yep. by the end of it, I can just read the story, no problem. Yep. And if you do, so, so you're doing Attic on this side and, and Modern on this side, and you're going to be hearing words all the time in Modern that are used in Attic and Keeney and all this kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, and you kind of smash into the middle with, with Koine Greek and you're going to have all the vocab pretty much like right in front of you and ready to go. Yep. And all the others you're kind of going to get from context. Yeah, that was one thing that <laughs> blew my mind when I started reading through Athanase and doing Duolingo. Like you, you see words that you recognize from your New Testament like frequently. Yeah. And so this idea of like, like there's so many people like that, that we have told like, hey – modern and kine are so close and there's people that are still like no no 
And and you but you look and you read Athanase and you go into Duolingo and you listen to Pimsler and you're literally listening to you're hearing words that are in your Bible you're yeah. you're doing Duolingo and you're just seeing words that are in your Bible everywhere. Right. And 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 so like if you act so like what what I think is going on is that people are just listening to their favorite authority who is saying these things mm. but but just go and use Duolingo for 30 minutes. And you'll see like five words you recognize from your Bible. And and so it it's it's just very interesting to me, like, th- but this is just the general culture right now. Yeah. Where like people just listen to their favorite authority. Don't go and do the reading. Don't go and do the work. And so then they just go and parrot all their favorite, you know, people they listen to. Right. Um, without really thinking about what they're actually saying. And sadly, the days of being able to just trust authorities is, is gone. Mm-hmm. We have to, in a, in a large way, do a renaissance or a reformation, if you will, a semper reformanda mm-hmm. ad fontes. Yeah. And, and go back and actually see what the truth of all these things are. And and one last comment on Athanase, because it's key for understanding the rest of, of language development and stuff. And this is very common with language learning. There's yeah. something called, um, t- this is a twofold thing I want to say. Uh, go back and reread often. So yeah. if you're if you're working through a text like this or Lingua Latina or even yeah. working through a text in the New Testament, say say you say you um, I'll just use the New Testament example. Say say you read John chapter one. Mm-hmm. And you, man, you worked on that thing for a couple of weeks. You got all of the words down. You understand every form in there. You understand everywhere. You can just read it fluently, right. not even think in English. <clears throat> then you start working through chapter two. Yeah. After, you know, as you're working through chapter two, also go back and reread chapter one. It solidifies again. If you think about it in everyday language, we're constantly saying things. And, and, and as our children are growing up, they're learning words and building off of words they already know. So yep. repetition is key. And I'm not saying we're flashcard repetition. I'm talking about entire phrases, entire sentences, entire chapters, entire stories, Rep- repeating these things puts them in your head. So read, 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 like yep. all the thing, go back and read over again, things you've already read. It seems like a waste, but it's actually solidifying and making the language stick even more. Also aim for 80 to 85% comprehension. If you get to that point and whether this is Pimsleur, whether this is Duolingo, whether this is, uh, you know, Machen or, or whatever, yeah. if you, if you understand about 85% of the content, um, and, and the rest you're kind of fuzzy on move forward. That's good. Yep. It's actually at that stage that that's, that's prime to, to be able to the next day, you're actually going to understand way more of it when you go to the next lesson. Right. So the next lesson will actually solidify that remaining 25% or 15%. Yep. So if you solidify the remaining 15% or 20%, so you, you solidify it by moving forward. And obviously, yep. and then revisit it again, and you're like, oh, that's... Yeah, you don't want to do like like eight hours a day of Greek and be like, I'm burnt out, and then quit. Right. And, and that's what happens a lot. People get really excited about something. Yeah. Um, you know, you do, you do a thousand XP on Duolingo <laughs> or listen to six hours of Pimsleur yeah. and then you're burned out. Yeah. Um, but, but even on, cause we've talked about this, you know, even if you, you know, do, do a Duolingo thing and you can get the thing gold after like, you know, 30 lessons, yeah. um, before you, before you move on, but it's already opened up a bunch of stuff. Go do the other stuff. Have, do something that's interesting you. If it's interesting you and it's in the language, do it. Yeah. Um, and don't feel like you have to, cause, cause I, I have to fight this off all the time. Right. Um, you know, oftentimes even in, in, in Pimsley yesterday, I felt like I only got like 85% of the material, hmm. but I'm not going to repeat that lesson tonight. If I got less than that, I would, um, right, yeah. but I'm going to move forward because I already know that stuff's going to get brought up again. So to get the, get the idea out of your head, cause this will go into conversation as well. 
get the idea out of your head that it has to be perfect. It doesn't. It has yep. to be sufficient. It has to be proficient. Right. Not Cause you, perfect. Because you'll be correct. Like, you'll, you'll, you'll naturally work that, those kinks out. And that's, like, actually something they teach you uh, by, com- you know, learning by conversation is, like, you don't correct your conversation partner every time they mess up. Let them make, make a mistake and correct them by using the word properly. Right, like, and that's something that you will never get by doing vocab cards. Yep, you'll never just never get right. You never get them in the right context. Like we learn by failing. Yeah, we learn by failing, and you don't get a chance to fail when you're doing things by a vocab card because the yep. vocab card has no grace. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and then lastly, just really quick, I mean, the the last things I do is I try to. Taylor and I have been trying to talk more. We talk with Steven. Um, you know, our, both of our wives are learning Greek. Who knows if that'll actually work out, but hopefully. Yeah, they're doing Duolingo, um, so. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully yeah. We're, we're going to try to do a dinner party and just, yeah, yeah, pretty just talk here. Yeah, so, so anyway, and to our kids and stuff. So mm-hmm. we're just trying to talk a little more. Um, that's something that's been helping. And then also, you know, listening to Greek Pod 101 has tons of stuff on YouTube mm-hmm. where you can listen. I think they have a live stream literally 24-7 where there's just always somebody teaching something about Greek or speaking Greek. Yeah, they do. So you can listen to that. They have little like quick five minute videos. They're like five essential phrases or ten essential phrases. That's great. Plug that in every once in a while. I'll do that. Or maybe I'll listen to something on or watch something on Netflix that's dubbed in English, like a kids right, yeah. show, or dubbed in Greek, like a kids show or something. And then last, like um, even on Sunday school, I I took notes on all the material in Kini Greek. So <laughs> that was fun. I just and that's really hard to do, by the way. Like and I, just the other day, really I, just the other day, I, I uh, composed a conversation for us to do in Kini. Yeah, so we're let's uh, plug that a little bit. We're going to be doing conversational Koine coming up here pretty soon on the podcast. We're going to call it Agros Greek Cast. <laughs> the Agros Greek Cast. So yeah. it's going to be, look you know, look forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be, we're going to have a conversation in modern and then the same conversation in Kini. So and yeah, so the idea is that you'll be able to see the similarities and the differences and, and how easily the two kind of translate to one another. Yeah, so I mean that that's basically in a perfect world, a perfect day, kind of mm-hmm. what I try to aim at. What about yourself? Yeah, so first of all, why am I learning Greek? So just as at the outset of it, I have learned to love language acquisition again mm-hmm. by learning Greek this way. So I took about six or seven years of Spanish in school, mm-hmm. and that should have gotten me fluent. Mm-hmm. It didn't, um, largely because, not, be, not necessarily because of my teachers or anything like that. I, I didn't put a lot of effort into it because I didn't, <laughs> really enjoy it you know my, my teachers were actually really great they were they were awesome uh and learning greek the natural method has actually sparked a, a just a, a love and a passion for language learning that i mm. never thought i would ever have mm. um but in terms of why i'm learning it i, wa- I want to learn i want to be able to just open this up in any place and just read it uh, i think that's really important uh especially in this age i think that the the value of language learning in general um, is dying. Mm. Like I was talking to someone in my family, all my family are all teachers and they're like, you know, like, why are you learning Greek? Like what, what's the point of learning Greek? You don't, you're never going to use it. And I think that the, that learning languages turns on so many light bulbs in your head, just mm. thinking wise. It, it's just mm. seems to me like a healthy brain exercise. If it is anything, um, it's, it's, it's why learning music is also so rewarding. And so that, that's, that's part of it. I want to read my New Testament. I, I just, I've learned to love language learning itself. And it's actually sparked my interest to go back and master Spanish to a conversational fluency because I've actually got all the building blocks there. Right. Because I used it for six, seven years in school. So, right. so you know, that, that's... All, that's the, all the neural pathways are already there. Right, exactly. So, like, I was just, you know, like, bringing it out the other day at dinner and I was like, oh, wow, I actually can kind of tool around in this thing. Um, 
And then I think in terms of like practical or experiential um, theology, knowing the scriptures and sharing the gospel are two of the most fundamental parts of our faith um, in terms of like, you know, as a Christian, being able to read the scriptures intimately and knowing the scriptures intimately mm. and sharing that with other people. I mean, that's it. That's the pinnacle, right? Being able to know and experience God um, mm. through, through his word is, is, is something that's so valuable. And so like, it makes me so sad that I think a lot of the, the reformed circles have really gotten busied with debate culture and they've gotten busied with, you know, theological groups, like all these different groups that are all over the place and they just argue and argue and argue and argue. Mm-hmm. And we forget like there, there's actually a mission that we're supposed to be on mm-hmm. and there, and there, there's more to, there's, there's, we can go deeper. Um, we can, we can just eat this thing up. This will never get dry. This will always be here for us. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think part so of the not re- race, slow down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like, you know, focus on what's important. And I, you know, I see people saying things like it doesn't, you know, like, like, there's only this many people in this country, so it's worthless to go do evangelism to them, and and it's just only, there's only 13 million people in in Greece or whatever, yeah. Um, but there's only 13 million Mormons in the United States, yet we see a very big necessity, especially people who live in right. Arizona, to reach them. Right. So and we've spent a lot of time investing in Mormon, you know, uh, mission work here at Agros, and and so you know we we definitely take an opposite position there. We think that that knowing the Bible and sharing what we know about the Bible and about Jesus is, is of utmost importance, no matter how small the people group. Um, and, and that's just super important to us. So because he who winneth souls is wise. Right. Read Spurgeon. Read right. Bible. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so in terms of practical and experiential theology, like that's my, that's my goal. I, I don't want to just learn Greek so that I can pick this thing apart. Mm. I, I want to learn Greek so that I can read it and enjoy it, mm. right? Like a plain language. Um, and and so literacy in the original languages and even literacy in the English language, yeah. right, um, has become a passion of mine. So that that's part of the whole, the whole language learning process. It's not just about <laughs> learning Greek. It's about becoming better at your mother tongue. It's about um, learning Latin eventually and Hebrew and getting, you know, my feet with those languages and, and finally, I don't want to contribute to what we're seeing um, and, and what is turning out to have a hugely negative impact on just the church in general is the way that uh, people are exegeting the scriptures right now. Mm. Um, basically, they, they learn 500 vocab words and then they go and they do word studies uh, and, and they go and they mystify the Greek language. They, they basically take the Bible away from the common person by doing an extensive word study using a lexicon and BDAG and a blue letter Bible. And they make people feel like, like the, like their Bible is out of their hands mm. because of the way they're reading Greek. I don't want to contribute to that problem. Right. And, and I, you, yeah. you hear pastors, ones who are really interested in stuff and I, and I, and I, it always sparks my ear. I like hearing it, but the common person in the pew doesn't give a crap if it's an instrumental data followed by a second aorist present active, you know what I mean? Like right. no, no. Or, or whatever. I mean, I'm just throwing, I'm just throwing grammar terms out there. Like that doesn't mean anything to the person sitting in the pew who, right. uh, you know, who wants to know how to love Jesus more and wants to know what they're supposed to do with their life and how to love yeah. their kids and how to love their wife. None, yeah. none of that nuance in the Greek matters to them. Right. None of those, they, they don't even know what those terms mean. So, right. And, and so I've done this, right. So you figure out that there's a secret language underneath the English, 
Right. And you go and you figure it out and you go into Blue Letter Bible or Bible Hub or whatever the, the online little lexicon is, mm. Strong's Concordance, mm. and you, you find out that there's a word called agape. And, you know, you find out there's these secret words underneath every English word. Like, you pull back the covers and there's, oh, there's a Greek word down there. And <laughs> you go and you, and you say, well, this word, agape, it means, you know, and you, you spend 20 minutes building out this illustration on uh, a Greek word. And I don't want to contribute to that problem because what that does is it teaches people sitting in the pew that they will never have access to their Bible, mm. not like their pastor does, mm. um, that they will never have access to their Bible, not like the Greek scholar does. Mm. And when you learn a whole language from top to bottom, uh, you figure out that the thing is not mystical. Mm. It's actually, you know, the there's been a lot of talk about Gnosticism for some reason. Mm. And when you when you learn 500 grammar words or 1,000 grammar words and you exegete the Bible using word studies and you pick apart each phrase and, and, and each word and you spend 30 minutes in a sermon describing about how this, you know, trejo means to glide and things like this, then then you really do mystify the text. That's that's how you take that's the Bible. Gnosticism. That would be Gnosticism. And that's our whole point is that if you learn Greek as just a living language, then you open up your Bible and you say, oh. That, that would be a non-reformed Gnostic view of the text is that that the that someone who knows Greek yeah. knows more about the scripture than somebody who doesn't know Greek. If you have a King James Bible in front of you, mm. or whatever whatever language it is, yeah. if you have an accurate translation of the underlying Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, <laughs> you have the Word of God. You don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know Hebrew. And in fact, you're not going to get anything more out of it. The confession yeah. itself. So being reformed and being confessional, as we started with, right. the confession itself tells us that it's useful for one thing to trans or for two things to translate into the vulgar tongue so they yep. don't have to do do anything with it anymore and two for controversy yep. now let me tell you this not every verse has controversial things about it that you need to go back to the greek and english or the greek right. and hebrew and everything for right. um that that's a gnostic view of the text that you can go on uh your your logos software or accordance yep. or whatever pull up a word study and do a word study that's gnosticism what is not gnosticism is to say learn to read this and enjoy it it'll help you when it can help you but at the end of the day it says the same thing this says yep and when you learn the whole language as a language you realize that uh trejo just means correo just means i run um it, it's you, the, you're telling me that it doesn't you know t- help us understand the the middle eastern culture and how the men didn't run they, no, you they sprint, it doesn't mean sprint it means run you could have actually done that with english mm. yeah and so we see this all the time where pastors hang the Greek words over their heads, over the congregation's head, and they say, see, I've got this secret knowledge. I've mm. got a drachme, you know, and, you, and it's like, man, that's yeah. just so sad. So I don't want to contribute to the problem. Right. That's part of the reason I, as a, as a, as a, you know, extraordinarily young and, you know, ridiculous and, and stupid pastor, uh, you know, I don't want to contribute to the problem of just being a, uh, a prolific word studier. Mm. And so part of the way you do that is you learn the whole language. And so when you go back to the Greek, you realize it's just a language. There's no, there's no glitter on it. You know, the, the it's not special, it's not special. It's a language. Mm. The, the actual inspiration is the special part. Mm. The preservation, the, the preservation, inspiration. the inspiration, the doctrine of scripture. That's right. the special part. The words themselves are just words. Mm. And so 
I've heard it said that that simply being able to read your Greek New Testament means that you have a high proficiency in the language. Or that you're a scholar. Or that you're a scholar. It does mean that. If you can, if you can open up to, for example, Titus or Revelation, and you can just read it like it's your first language, that, I would say you have a proficiency. I would say that's some sort of proficiency. Mm. But if you, if you can do this without reading or referring to a lexicon or BDAG or Bible tools, I would say that's the goal you've gotten there. Mm. That's what I want to get to. That doesn't make me a scholar at all. Or an expert. Or an expert. In fact, because, you know, you found out that 14-year-olds at a skate park with Greek as their second language could read this thing. I would say that being proficient probably isn't the the baseline for the Greek New Testament. Mm. I would say having Greek as a second language and being 14 is probably right. the, the baseline. So whatever <laughs> level that is, that's yeah. you know where I want to try to get to first and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, the, the Greek people that I, that I talked with and everything there, um, just using some of the younger people as examples, the, mm. te- the teenagers who were Greek, who were raised yeah. in Cyprus, Greek is their native mother tongue. Yeah. When I was flipping over to Romans, Revelation, John, didn't matter where I flipped, yeah. every genre and every author <clears throat> I flipped to, more the didactic stuff, prophecy, uh, whatever I turned to, it was always the content, not the language that was yeah. the, the, that was you know hard to understand or why did Jesus have to do this or how right. do I be saved, those kinds of things. Never... Um, what language is this? What does this mean? Or anything right. like that. that. That's not the point. So being able to read, I, I can read my English Bible fluently. Can't you? Yeah. I read it proficiently. Yeah. You know, e- even in the ESV, I had to look up words every once in a while. And, and then even the KJV, I have to read it, look up words every once in a while. But guess what? I'm not, I'm not an English scholar. No, I, I read that thing cover to cover. No problem. Right. I never run into anything where I'm like, what does this language mean? Right. I read it fluently and with a high, high proficiency. Guess what? I'm still not a scholar. I never will be an English scholar, probably, because I couldn't parse to you that. I couldn't tell you all about the intricacies of the English right. grammar. I'm not a scholar. So at the end of the day, we're just Greek students, and we're excited that we're able to take what we're doing, uh, which Dane has been doing for a long time, and I think with with great success. And he's bringing me in on this whole thing, and I'm I'm super excited. So first and foremost, we're, we're Greek students. Yep. Uh, well, so, you know, uh, I, I imagine this is going to come out, you know, people are going to say, oh, they're, they think they're Greek scholars. They think that they're this and that we're just Greek students. And one of the best ways to actually learn something is to teach something. Mm. And so that, that's why Dane has been trying to teach people Greek for literally almost a decade now. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like, um, and and so, so that, that's where we're at. And so that being said, as a Greek student, what am I doing daily? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still at a, fa- at a phase where I'm like building foundations and I'm mm-hmm. building the building blocks. Uh, and the plan is to dive more into grammar once I've probably done this for about a year. So basically every day I try to do this. I try to read my Greek New Testament out loud. I've been reading, uh, uh, basically John one over and over and over again and, and trying to get to a point where I'm reading the Greek words and, and, and re and understanding them in Greek, not doing like translation on the fly. Mm. And I'm not even close to there yet, but I'm getting to about verse 18 where like, I'm starting to pick up most of the words. Mm. Um, and I'm doing that every single day and mm. probably five times a day, just reading it out loud. Um, I'm listening by, I'm doing do uh Pimsleur 30 minutes a day. When I go on my walk, mm. I do an hour walk where I listen to 30 minutes of Calvin do 30 minutes of Pimsleur. Mm. 
and then I'm doing Duolingo, and that's basically just as much time as I get during the day, usually 15 to 30 minutes of Duolingo. Mm. And then I'm doing, I'm trying to write and compose anything I possibly can if I have the time. So after I've, I've read aloud, after uh, I've done Duolingo and Pimsleur, I try to compose. And then uh, what I need to be doing, actually, I need to add this into my rotation, is listening more. Mm. Um, so that's the one thing I'm missing. But actually, when I'm reading out loud, I pace back and forth in my living room. Alexander Argelius. Yeah, right. He, he recommended that. So um, it's actually crazy. When I'm walking in my living room, I start just saying John 1 out loud. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, put it in your head. Yeah, because it's in my head. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. So, we, 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 so that's between an hour and two hours every day. Because mm. Pimsleur is just 30 minutes, and I'm already on my walk, so it's not like I'm doing anything extra. I do a walk for my health, for my heart health, and for just generally getting outside. I sit a lot. Um, and So why not just do Pimsleur while I'm out there? Yeah. Um, so really... And if, and if you have a commute or something, if you're out there yeah. and you have a commute, or you go to the gym, say you go to the gym for an hour, only half of the time is going to be, say you have a podcast you like to listen to or something. Right. Um, you know, only half of the time will be used for dueling or for uh, Pimsleur. Yeah. It's, a th- it's a 30 minute thing and, and, it, and you cover a lot of ground, uh, over the course of 66. So you do that 66 times, you've finished Pimsleur's Greek course and you've got a good starting point in Greek. Yeah. You're and, not then, fluent, and, then, and then maybe you like start point. like doing Duolingo or Rosetta Stone or pick up a Greek grammar and start working on a grammar. And then if I am feeling very bored and tired of everything else I'm doing, I'll work, I'll flip through a grammar, like I'll work through a Greek grammar. Um, so that's daily, my daily commitment to Greek right now is hour minimum, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then, so, so what we just described is much different than how a lot of language work or programs work at seminary, right? Like, mm. but I, we seem to have, and I think we do have some sort of momentum going on here People are starting to, I think people are ready to listen to this now. Yeah. Like six years ago, five years ago, I think that this method was, was actually laughed out. It was, yeah. People, people literally, careers were ended, that sort of thing, for even suggesting this would even be a thing that people should do. Right. But in, in the, you know, you go on YouTube and there's actually like a pretty tight polyglot community and they have 18 languages sometimes more. A lot of them dead, ancient dead languages. Ancient dead languages, and they all learn languages like this. And and so, you know, we talk a lot about, in the Reformed community, about redeeming the culture and, like, doing things the best, right? Like, like that's, like, part of, you know, especially, the, you know, a lot of these post-millennial groups, they're like, yeah, we need to, like, take back the culture for Christ, that kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, why not do that with language learning in our seminaries? Why not take right. the best methodologies that were used throughout the ages, all the way up to the modern period when the grammar translation method kind of Mm -hmm. won, um, and go back to the old paths and also accept the methodology that works the best, that's the Mm -hmm. the most successful by every metric, and use that, Mm -hmm. right? That seems like the most obvious thing to me to do. And so no matter what people say about this methodology, at the end of the day, we're learning Greek at a rapid pace. Mm -hmm. And... There, there's there's going to be about 20 TR advocates that are learning Greek in this next year that are going to do it. And there's and, and, and a whole lot of NIFB people. And, and a whole lot of NIFB people. So if, if you know, if you're watching this and you're... And you you're, don't want them to be better at Greek than you, like, we'll just say, because we know that's... Uh, if, if that's going to make you uncomfortable and make you uh, kind of crawl on your skin that there's going to be a bunch of people from another denomination that uh, you don't like, 
that all are better at the Greek New Testament than you, then I, I don't know, get on it, you know? Right, like, 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 don't, don't, like, don't be, uh, so, like, I guess, stuck to the old path, the old way, um, that you, that you don't do something that's ultimately going to be more effective for you. Don't go back to the older path, as we'll talk about later. The actual old path is not the way that's taught now. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you watch these polyglots online, and it seems to be that the up-and-coming method is a natural method with storytelling. Yeah. Like, storytelling is, is, is all the rage right now. Yep. And that's what all the polyglots on the cutting edge of research are saying. Storytelling, storytelling, storytelling. That's, that's the thing. TPR, total physical response. So yep. you become part of the story. You become part of right. the story. And like, like uh, even in Kini Greek, I remember, because I, yeah. I did a lot of conversational Kini, so they would say, dos mi kalamon para kalo. Yeah, para calo, efkaristo. Yeah, yeah, so so it'd be like, you know, I mean, you do stuff like that where you literally like, give me the pen, please. Okay, now sit on that chair. Walk to me. Like, that kind of stuff teaches you to respond language just like a child. The first thing they're doing is not working through a grammar book, doing vocab cards, learning how to write, even learning how to speak. They're just receptive first. It's called receptive fluency. Both of our, both your daughter and my son are receptively fluent in, in English at this point. Yeah. For the most part, you know, there's obviously Simple. still, yeah, there's yeah. stuff they don't understand, but at the same time, it's they, they like have proficiency and yeah, yeah. receptive yeah. They, they understand what I'm, my son understands what I'm saying to him. Yeah. My son, when I tell him, sit down, please sits. My son knows to do things. He knows that certain things he's doing are wrong, you know, things like that. Right. So. so like my, my daughter brings me my, I have a Coke zero with lunch every day and my, my wife goes, all right, Finley, can you take this drink to daddy? And she grabs it and she goes, yep. And she walks over to me at my desk, gives me the drink, and waits for me to grab it from her, and then walks back into the kitchen. And so, like, she 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 knows how to respond to input. Right, right. Um, and 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 so the the natural method, and that's this next set. We're kind of like moving into the the natural method of learning languages. But first, before I just wanted to quote some stuff by Stephen Krashen, who's like kind of on the front, the the cutting edge of this research. Um, mm. One of them. There's a lot of people doing this. But he basically said there's a tendency for experts to be monolingual. So in, in terms of language professors, there's a tendency for them to only know their mother tongue. Mm. And that's not good. That's really not good. And so, so he, this, this natural method is essentially, uh, Krashen says, you need to be in the, the mindset of acquisition all the time. Like constantly be thinking in this second language that you're trying to acquire. Um, when you form a sentence in your mother tongue, think about how you could form it in the tongue that you're learning, um, that you're acquiring. And he says a part of the problem that we don't learn languages is that we have output phobia, mm. uh, that, that we're afraid to compose because we're afraid of imperfection. We're afraid of failure. But what did we talk about earlier? Failure is how you learn in just about everything. Yep. And so he... he in, in this particular talk I was walking, or watching, he says that we acquire language in one way, when we understand what people say and when we understand what we read. And then he says, study doesn't help much. If you want to get better at another language, listen and read. Yep. And, and, and so because, because the goal is just to read, that doesn't mean that we need to limit our language learning methodology to just reading and studying grammar. We need to learn languages the way that our bodies are built and designed to learn languages, the way that children learn languages, by input and output. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, that's the foundation of this methodology, mm. is, is, is that you, you, you were born to learn languages. Mm. The fact that, that children, all they do the first 
few years of their life is just learn languages and learn all these things. We're programmed to do it. We're programmed to do it. So do it the way that our bodies are designed. Yeah. And that's the whole foundation of the natural method. So I mean, even there's even blind and deaf people that become able to communicate. Or we're made to be communicative creatures. We right. are communicative creatures. So where, where there's a will or in a need, there is a way. Yeah. And, the, and the mind will find that way to do it. So your mind's already ready naturally yeah. to, to understand and use and learn language. So why not feed it that language and right. languages the way it naturally learns them best? That's right. the premise. And, and, if, and if you have any sort of doubt that this methodology is not coming to the seminaries, I mean, it's coming. Right. Um, Randall Booth, for example, is one of the biggest advocates of Kine as a living language. Mm. Um, quoted that the day is coming that se- when seminaries will need to offer courses with class lectures in Greek. Mm. Um, in Greek. Yeah. In Greek. So you're you're learning Greek. So these upper division Greek classes. By the time you get to being a junior and a senior in your seminary program, you will need to be taking a your Greek grammar course in Greek. Your professor will be speaking Greek to you. Randall Booth said, this is on its way. That's the way that it's going. And, you know, that that probably would have been laughed out of the seminary six years ago, but that's the way they teach every other language. And again, if we're trying to take back the culture and redeem the culture, what what better way than to, to teach things the best way you're supposed to teach them? Right. And, and the reason all the, all the best post-Reformation dogmatic things are... Um, like all the best post-Reformation dogmatics were written in Latin was because that was the language people understood and it was a universal language for scholars. So the scholars understood, not just everyday people, but the scholars understood it. They all communicated. So when a class was taught, like when Turretin taught these, these lectures, I mean, I have to grab them. They're just awesome. So this is, this is Turretin's, uh, Elenctic theology in Latin from the 1700s. I mean, look at that. That's amazing. That's just amazing stuff. So, yeah, this is from the 1700s. But anyway, um, when these were so written... you know, we don't read any of these books. We're actually right, right, really right. stupid, <laughs> and we're not reformed. So, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, when it's yeah. a quaestio, and, you know, it goes through, uh, you know, the, the, the everything, uh, the, the, the stupendous ministry, the, the amazing ministry of Christ. Yeah. Uh, it goes, you know, all, all this amazing stuff that's here in Latin. The reason it's in Latin is because the scholars understood it, and they actually taught... Latin grammar in Latin, they actually, and then once you understood the language, they taught you divinity in Latin. Yeah. Um, and, and it was only, th- this was the book used at Princeton until Charles Hodge made his. Wow. So the students were expected to know Latin to such a su- uh, sufficient or proficient level that they could study wow. their divinity courses and their systematic theology in Latin. And it would have just been no problem. So, wow. <laughs> so we, we, we talked about today, we talked about what we our definition of reformed what we think being reformed means uh we talked a little bit about what we do daily to sharpen and hone and learn greek yep Uh, we we cleared up some hopefully some myths that we view the text in a gnostic way um some myths that we think ourselves to be greek scholars uh we don't actually know any greek scholars we don't consider ourselves to be greek scholars um fluency in a language doesn't make you a greek scholar Mm. and uh then we talked a little bit about the foundations of the natural method for learning language, mm. uh, which is just to treat language learning like a, a normal thing that humans are meant to do yeah, and, and to apply a methodology that is intuitive and natural in the way that children learn language. And there's actually a lot of study right now that shows that, hum- that adults uh, learn languages faster than children even. Um, because we already have the, the framework for learning, mm. but what we shouldn't introduce methods that are completely foreign to our brains or we will learn language slower. 
yeah. if if not at all. And and that's why you can have guys and there's people out there. Yeah. I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of them who have taken four or five years, six years, seven years of Greek. And like upper level Greek exegesis courses, right. and like advanced grammar courses, and right. and cannot pick up their Greek New Testament and read it. Of course, you know they'll they'll pick out parts and stuff, but they cannot read it fluently. They right. cannot understand it with ease and everything like that. Um, I had one person the other day confused being able to pronounce Greek words, which with whatever system of pronunciation you're using, they think they're saying that to be able to read it means pronounce it. And I was like, and they take an eight, a year of seminary, and I was like. Which is wow. actually what we were accused of as well, that we, we just thought we could, you know, well, we thought that reading Greek would have meant that you could pronounce it, um, which is which is honestly one of the more ignorant things I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, Didn't you come up with your own uh, English pronunciation system? Since, since pronunciation doesn't oh, matter yeah, is the yeah, accusation. Okay, so um, this is just one, this is one of our favorite passages of scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of my favorite passages of scripture. So this just has to do with pronunciation. Um, this is my construction of what English could have sounded like at some point in time. Um, so, to same to same to fakin in kid. Did you recognize that? No. Okay. What about this? For by Greek it received to fit, and to f yourselves, it's as to gifts of kid. Well, since I know that that is an that those are English Bible words, um, it doesn't matter how you pronounce them, right? No, that's English. You need to be able to understand that. Oh, so it does matter what pronunciation you use. In that case, I didn't understand anything you just said. Oh, okay. It might as well have been clanging cymbals. So... What verse was that? Well, the first one was John 1-2, and the second one was Ephesians 2-8. So the same was in the beginning with God, and for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. So... so no, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's English, though. You Right, right, yeah. That is... That, this is... This is not arbitrarily English. You're a modern English speaker. Can you understand it? No. What my pronunciation system that I made up is closer to English, modern English, than Erasmian is to modern Greek. That's actually very true, yeah. Erasmian sounds nothing like yeah. Greek. So, for example, to same, the same, this n was in, to begin in, the beginning, that kid, with God. I changed less syllables than Erasmian changes. Right. Less sounds than Erasmian changes. So that's just really interesting. So, so you know, in, in terms so we were we were told, and and you know, there's been there's been people parroting uh, what we were told was that the the pronunciation doesn't matter. Um, that if uh, you pronounce you can pronounce Greek however you want, and it means the same thing. Well, according to that standard, when you read it in the pronunciation method you made up those English verses, um, it's the same thing to me. I have no right to tell you that that right. was silly. So. Uh, so there, actually there, does there, there are words that are spelled the same in English that are pronounced differently. There, there, there. There, there, there. Red, read, things like that that are yeah. that are spelled the same, sound different. Um, the 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 point that I'm getting at here is, is that we need to think of language like a language. We mm. can't throw a funny pronunciation on it that no one has ever used, not even Erasmus, mm. at any point in time in the history of the world. Mm. Um, you know, just because it may have sounded that way. Uh, use a pronunciation that's that's current, right? Mm. Like, obviously, that's not the whole thing we're saying. Mm. But if you want to treat a language like a language and not just some mystified, you know, thing that you use to decode the New Testament, mm. learn it in the proper pronunciation that people still use today 
and you'll you'll have a great time. All these resources just open up to you, and you can use mm. Pimsleur and Rosetta Stone and Duolingo mm. and Italki, and you can have conversations with actual Greek speakers and things mm. like that. So next time on the Agros Church podcast, we're going to be talking. Uh, more in depth on what the actual natural method is. So, so part two. So we're going to part two. We we went over on time today, but mm. hopefully, what you guys pulled out today, if mm. anything, is that language learning is difficult. It takes time per day. Mm. Um, you have to invest in the time. You can't treat it just like a set of grammar rules, or mm. you're not going to learn the language. And there are methodologies that are tried and true. And we need to be bringing these things into our seminaries. We need to be mm. bringing these things into our private studies. Because guess what? If we don't change our mind on this sort of thing, there's going to be a bunch of new independent fundamentalist Baptists with higher level of fluency in Greek than any seminarian. And and that's not going to be something that I think the our Reformed friends are going to be really happy about. Right. So we need to jump on board and join them and learn yeah. Greek. Right. So so we, we need to, you know, this just needs to be a positive thing. Everyone needs to be like, hey, you know what? We may need to change things up a little bit. Let's do it the best way we possibly can. Mm. And, you know, stop all the gainsaying and, and stop all the slandering and, and stop all the, you know, the negativeness. And just say, hey, you know what? There's a better way to do this. Let's jump on board. Let's do it. Let's get excited about it. Mm. And let's let's have fun with this. Yeah, amen. Because, I mean, you we... we no one here is saying, let me just be clear, no one here is saying that after using this more natural method of learning the modern Greek, not the modern Greek pronunciation, the modern Greek language, yeah. uh, the, the modern form of Greek that is spoken today, obviously the pronunciation comes with it. No one is saying that after dialing that in and becoming proficient in it, you're not going to need a little bit of extra grammar study to, to in Keeney specifically, in the New right. Testament Greek specifically. Here's the thing. You'll be able to read cover to cover your Greek New Testament and not have problems. Right. However, you won't get all the intricacies of grammar. Just like I don't have the intricacies of, of uh, Elizabethan English, but I can still read the Geneva Bible, the Tyndale Bible, and the King James Bible right. fluently. And all the Puritan works that I'm surrounded by yeah. with no problem. But I don't know the intricacies of the grammar. And if I do, sometimes uh, – like when I, when I learned that if there's a Y – for a pronoun, it's plural, and if there's a T, H, hmm. it's singular. That right. helped me a lot. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. So thou is always singular, and ye or you is always plural. Yeah, boom. Okay, that's helpful. <clears throat> it's the same way with Keeney. So become proficient using the natural method with modern Greek, and you'll, and, you'll, and you'll be doing great in here. Now that you have that foundation, learn, learn some Attic, learn some Keeney grammar rules, and that'll, right. make, that'll take you to the above. All these books, like, you know, I'm not going to throw my mounts away. I'm not going to throw my SM Bob books away. I'm not going to throw going deeper in Greek away. However, for right now, they're useless to me. And if I were beginning Greek, they'd be useless to me. Um, yeah. I think they're useless to anyone who wants to learn Greek at the start of their learning Greek. Once they've got a foundation in Greek, yeah. those books are super helpful. Those books are going to help you right. a lot with the intricacies of the grammar and stuff. They're great. But starting right. off, you know, by lesson nine, I think it's lesson eight in yeah. SM Bob. You're, you're 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 diagramming and translating First Corinthians. What? And I'm like, like, my son is not translating First Corinthians for you know. I mean, he's he's not even reading First Corinthians. He doesn't even know the words in First Corinthians. Right. And, well, and, and that, that's that's one of the craziest things to me. That that if if you had someone that was completely fluent in let's just say French, French was their mother tongue, and they came to America and they only studied the King James Bible, and you know, or the ESV, whatever you're, whatever. You're, whatever your translation. They only studied the English Bible and they refused to learn the English language from anyone else. All they did was learn by studying, um, you know, the English grammars 
and by reading the King James Version or reading the ESV or whatever like that. You wouldn't then, after two years of just doing that, of being in like a, um, a complete echo chamber of just people only speaking French and just reading the King James, then say you are now qualified to exegete the English Bible. <laughs> you know, because they recognize 500 words and they know English grammar. You would never, ever, 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 ever do that. Mm. And, and, and because, because we, we typically have a Gnostic view of the Greek, mm-hmm. we think that it's okay to learn 500 words and not know the language and then be an, a, a Greek exegesis master mm-hmm. when you don't even know the language. Mm-hmm. That's why when you demystify it, you turn it into a normal language and say, I'm just going to learn in a second language. Mm-hmm. Then you come to the Kine and then you're learning the grammar later on once you have a foundation that's that's all that we're advocating for, and that that's really, I mean, you really have to you really have to do us wrong, if, if you're saying that we're not saying that. Yeah, if you can't even, because uh, we would never think that somebody who couldn't go shopping or go get a coffee and have a conversation in yeah. English would be qualified to teach English to anyone in any language for any reason, right? Because they have that low of a capacity in the English language for right. some reason. I think, again, due to this Gnostic idea of how Greek is learned and used, um, we somehow think it's okay for seminary professors and pastors and everything to have right. no ability in the Greek language. They can't even say, Thaithala and a bukali nero, I would like a glass of water in, in yeah. modern. Or they can't even say, Thos me pin, like Jesus Christ says in the in the right. Gospel of John. So even right. in Kini, right. uh, you know, you can't even have a conversation in Kini. Right. Um, and, and yet that's okay. Yep, so... But yeah, part, ne- next next two part two we're gonna we're gonna go in more into the the natural method and, and hopefully yeah. uh, we'll kind of talk about how people like Erasmus and, and Luther and all those kind of right, guys yeah. actually learn Greek and how it's the exact same way that we're advocating now. We're gonna give more of like the uh, the methodology and the information behind it, right, and yeah. then also just kind of give you some some important phrases you can learn in Greek if it's something you want to do, uh, and just kind of talk more about it. But you know, hopefully this was helpful. Again, we kind of want to foster a more positive discussion. Yeah, um, um, I, I know. Obviously, we, we respond to things. It's it's easy to get frustrated. It is. Yeah, on, yeah. On, on, I'm sure on all sides, it's easy to get frustrated about things. Here's the thing: we're just excited about Greek. Yeah, we're excited about people learning Greek, not to master some secret thing, but people will be able to read the Greek New Testament, enjoy the Greek New Testament. Hey, talk to Greek people, uh, read the classics. I mean, what better thing? The whole part of the Reformation is ad fontes. Go back to the sources so you can you can understand it for yourself. I mean, learning languages is an awesome thing. We've we've talked about that. So we're just excited about learning Greek again. If you can lock yourself in a library and and basically ride a unicycle across a tightrope and somehow manage to become fluent in new testament greek by reading only grammars and new testament greek by yourself i mean all power to you i mean that's great i'm excited if you come out of that and you can you're fluent in new testament greek i'm excited for you however there's a much easier way and a much funner way right so thank you guys for watching uh we we hope that 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 you guys get behind this methodology whether you're in seminary now you're a greek professor um we're not claiming to have all the answers but we're pointing to the people that have you know, use this methodology to learn 25 languages or whatever it is. Right. And we're saying, hey, let's let's use the best, the best methodologies. Let's not do the bare minimum to the men that are going to be delivering pulpit supply to the church. <laughs> right. uh, you know, so so that's our goal. Now, we think this is really important. We think that it's so important that we demystify the Greek, that we that we teach it as a natural language mm. and, and that the church gets behind this because when the languages die, then so does our ability to translate the Bible. So does our ability to do all these things. So, so when the, we lose languages, we lose the gospel. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to the Agris Church Podcast. I'm the Associate Pastor Taylor DeSoto. The Pastor Dan Johansson. And we'll see you guys next time. God bless. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father.